You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 3800 Marlton Pike, Pensacon, New Jersey. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. This week, I met up with a new friend who, who needed somebody to talk to. Uh, I was at a Dunkin' Donuts, and he told me in detail the sad outcome of the past two years of his life. Both of his parents have died, and his grandfather. And he was feeling adrift, like these rocks in his life were gone, and the foundation was gone with them. And I was honored to listen to him as, as tears welled up in his eyes. And he's a beautiful man trying to stay soft in a, in a very hard world, in a very hard life very hard moment in his particular life. And one of the most beautiful things that he relayed to me was his description of his girlfriend, who was by his side through the most recent deaths. Just last month, his mom and his grandfather died. And he said about her, with her, I don't have to be anything other than who I am. I can just be myself. And isn't that what we're all looking for? I hope that you know what it's like to be with someone with whom you can be yourself. Not your expectations of yourself or who you think you're supposed to be, but who you really are. That feeling is marvelous. And it's not only with lovers that we can feel this. We, we find it with friends and with family and occasionally even with strangers. And most profoundly, I hope that you know that you can find it with God. God's project for you is that you would be who you really are. This is the most powerful meaning of the incarnation which we're celebrating today on the 12th day of Christmas, is that God is so delighted in who you are and is doing everything possible to help move you into the kind of love that he has for you, that you would have that for yourself and from others around you. God became like us so we could know who we are, so we could be deeply comfortable with how we were made and who we were made to be. And who we are is not just shaped by our DNA or or some preeminent destiny, but also the ways of the world and the way we 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 have been taken through it. It's hard to distinguish between what is meant to be from the beginning and and what has come to pass. Isn't it true that the most difficult things that you've experienced in your life are some of the ones that have shaped you the most? It's kind of obvious. These things, too, make us who we are. And Jesus comes alongside us. He is God with us, Emmanuel, and he shows us by his presence who we are in the midst of of all this mess. He loves us as we are, and with him we can say, with him I don't have to be anything other than who I am. I can just be myself. I pray that you find your deepest comfort in Jesus' love for you. And we can start by naming that feeling and acting from that name we have been given. He has called us beloved. His love is written in the stars here. The Magi, who came to Jesus, 
somehow knew this after their encounter with Jesus. They knew somehow that they were named, that Jesus was special, and that his love would somehow change things. It changed them. By knowing Jesus, we better know ourselves. And, and we've already told the story today. The magi, magi, the wise men, los reyes magos, they traveled a long way through the desert because they saw a new star. Uh, they had invested years of study, probably including the ancient Hebrew scriptures, but definitely the stars and the astronomy to know that this one is new. They had to have plenty of means because they were able to make an expensive journey and presented such luxurious gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's why they're called kings, because it seemed to ancient people that only kings would have that much money. Imagine if our kings, those who are in power today, invested their wealth in knowledge and worship, in naming the stars and knowing somehow that something incredible had happened in a distant land, and then went to name the thing they thought they knew. They did not come to destroy or to take power. They came to know and learn and to ultimately worship. Our rulers are not so benevolent, and, and relatively few have ever been in history. It's almost surreal to be remembering these mysterious men, the Magi, today when uh, the modern governments of where they were in Iran and our government, the United States, are escalating their conflict towards war. You heard that the U.S. military assassinated Iran's top security intelligence commander, Qasim Soleimani, on Friday in a drone strike outside the Baghdad airport in Iraq. Uh, President Trump authorized the attack, and, and now we aren't sure what will happen. Iran's supreme leader has called for vengeance, and many Americans are ready to turn Iran into a parking lot. Someone actually said that to me. Lord have mercy. The same cycles of violence just keep on spinning. But these magi, they're an exception. They find Jesus via the, the royal court of another spinner of violence cycle, Herod the Great, who was murderous and insecure to the core. We know this because... Uh, extra-biblical historical record shows that he was terrible, and the story in Matthew, which I didn't read for the kids, um, where he orders the death of every two-year-old or younger boy so that he could catch the Messiah. One scholar put, put this into context, speculating that at the time of Jesus' birth, Bethlehem was a, a village of about 1,500 residents. So it's likely that Bethlehem, that Bethlehem had no more than two dozen babies, two years old and under, and half of them were female. So one reason that this event doesn't go down in history with all of Herod's other terrible things, it's not in the extra biblical record, is that it was relatively small scale compared to the other things he had done. And uh, it just didn't make the make the story from Josephus, is the main historian that records Herod's acts. But the Magi, they don't go back to Herod as they were requested. Um, they take another route 
because their, their worship of Jesus has changed them. They're, they're not just interested in knowing the facts. They don't come to consume the experience of this strange uh, foreign baby who had brought about a new star. They name him for, for who he is. Finding him brings them joy. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And when they leave and don't do what the powerful people do, when they resist the, the, the powerful people of Jerusalem, they become co-conspirators in this plot to transform us. They save Jesus' life so that many can know what they know. And I can't imagine that they are not changed by this participation. That that, that experience did not profoundly impact them. And I know because I'm a participant in it now too, and I know what it's done to me. We all who follow Jesus are, are participants in this story because Jesus chose us to reveal to us his good news, his life that hasn't been overcome by the darkness, his life which, which escaped death when he was a baby so that Jesus could consciously submit to death on the cross and by so doing defeat the power of death and break the cycle of violence forever. God vindicated Jesus by raising him from the dead and the power of the resurrection now empowers us to participate in the world in a different way. Jesus, transform us. Take and restore us as we were singing. The new way is of creating space for people to have that feeling that my friend was sharing with me in the Dunkin' Donuts on Black Horse Pike. Freedom to be who we are. Freedom to be soft and undefended even when the world is hard and terrible and death still looms over every story. Jesus was born into a world of violence and right at the beginning there is this radical inclusion that crosses all the lines and changes everything. It changes kings, it changes routes, it changes outcomes, it changes us. It shows us who we are and shows us how humanity can be. These magi, these magic men, these astronomers, they, they, they made me think of A Wind in the Door, which is a book by Madeline Langle. Anyone read it? I love it. My family listened to it on our road trip this summer. And there's this character in the book who is a cherubim named Prognoskis. Progo for short. That makes it easier. Langle imagines him as Ezekiel, describes cherubim in Ezekiel 10.12. Oh, I forgot that one. Uh, they're, they're, this is Ezekiel 10.12. Their entire bodies, including their backs, their hands and their wings, were completely full of eyes. Cherubim covered with eyes. Before, he, before Progo is sent to the, to the Murray children, who are the protagonists of the story, um, to help them defeat dark forces in the universe, which are marshaled by these other creatures that are called Ekthroi, which literally means the enemies. Uh, Progo, before that, was given the assignment of naming all the stars in the universe. He had to learn all of the names of the stars in the universe. And Meg Murray, the oldest child, asks Progo, how many stars are there in the universe? And Progo answers, how many? Great heavens, Earthling. I haven't the faintest idea. But you said your last assignment was to memorize the names of all of them. I did. 
all the stars in all the galaxies. And that's a great many. But how many? What difference does it make? I know their names. I don't know how many there are. It's their names that matter. Meg learns the power of naming to defeat the Ekthroi, whose main power is in nothingness. They make things not. They make things into nothing. They threaten to convince people that they are nothing. They are the unnamers. And Progo tells Meg, when everyone is really and truly named, then the Ekthroi will be vanquished. I think this is the Christian calling. I love this book because it's so true. To be who we truly are so we can help everyone know who they truly are. We are namers. This is the story of Epiphany, I think. How many beautiful things happen in this world unnoticed? How many beautiful people go through this world not knowing how beautiful they are? An Epiphany is a revelation. When, when, you, when you show, when you see the beauty that's there. The, the Magi came across the deserts because they saw a star and they revealed the source of that star to be who he was, the king of the universe. They saw Jesus. They were overjoyed and they worshipped him. They named him. Who he really is was revealed to them and they responded appropriately. So much in this world, and so many people need to be named. Naming. Like a whole, I want to make a whole thing out of this. Naming is discovering and valuing God's designed purposeful, purposefulness in a person. Naming is discovering and valuing God's designed purposefulness in a person establishing that core identity of a person in reality. A person who names is grounded in love and comes alongside of and calls a person out of a limited or false existence into a fully authentic and dynamic existence. The redemptive act of recognizing and expressing who a person is and was created to be through words, active listening, actions, and loving. That's what naming is. Really putting your back into helping a person know what you see in them. I see you. I know who you are. I know what you do. I'm listening to you so that you can even tell it to yourself. I'm drawing this out by coming alongside of you. Naming is a loving process of liberation for both the sender and receiver. For by recognizing and affirming another, another, both people can embark upon and continue upon the process of discovering God's design for them. When we come together in this project, we can walk together in this project, and it makes us more who we are by doing it together. Naming has to do with helping others know who they really are beyond their attempts at posturing or belittling themselves. It has to do with helping people exist and act more authentically as the people they are in their core, rather than as the people that the destructive powers in their lives keep encouraging them to be. The more that we are able to be ourselves, to be named, 
the more we will find ourselves loving others and embarking on this co-liberating experience. Not because we're trying to prove ourselves as super Christians, but because we're getting at who we really are. And when we're acting out of that, the love we give is going to be more authentic than if we were just posturing, just trying to do what we're supposed to do. We're acting out of our core self, who we are, what, what's our name, beloved. Being a namer, though, requires a community. Like, and, and it requires a community, I think, like ours, like Circle of Hope. Because we make cells, which are this, the primary um, space where this community happens, and the primary agenda of cells is naming. That's what they're for. Jesus is revealed in our process. Cells are epiphanic. I like it. It can be an adjective. Epiphanic. They're about revealing people. Really meeting someone only happens if we let our defenses down. If we take the risk of love, we reap the rewards of that co-liberating naming that I hope will be our common project. Try this. Next time, you're, maybe you're in your cell meeting or you're at another place with your, with your good friends. Um, it doesn't matter what you're doing. See if you can name what's happening in the moment. This is a powerful thing. Just pause for a moment and look at your friends sincerely to say, it's good that we're here. I'm glad to be with you. It's kind of a weird thing to do. Not, not exactly socially normal. But I think you'll recognize its power. And I think people will receive its power, the naming of that moment. Um, or, or try this. In your cell meeting or somewhere else where you're, uh, you have intimate people to talk to, um, be so presumptuous as to tell someone what you see in them. Just say the truth as you know it. It doesn't even have to be super insightful, but it can be if you have an insight or even a discernment from the Holy Spirit. But try this. You're working so hard to be the kind of dad you want to be. I see you. Or... You give a lot of love to those kids you work with. I see you. You are very kind to your neighbors. I see you. You've been through a lot, and I'm proud to know you because you are so resilient. I see you. You are really fun to be around. You make the best meatballs. And I'm just so appreciative of your hospitality to me. Try it out. Be a namer. At the end of Wind in the Door, and I'm sorry for all the spoilers, I still think it's worth reading. Um, another character, Calvin O'Keefe, starts this beautiful poem that spills out of Meg Murray as she saves the day. He names her simply by saying her name. And then she responds with this. Calvin names her. You are Meg. And then she responds with this poem. I name you Calvin. I name you Mr. Jenkins. I name you Prognoscus. I fill you with naming. Be, be butterfly and behemoth. Be galaxy and grasshopper. Star and sparrow. You matter. You are. Be, be caterpillar and comet. 
B porcupine and planet, sea sand and solar system, sing with us, dance with us, rejoice with us for the glory of creation. Seagulls and seraphim, angel worms and angel hosts, chrysanthemum and cherubim, oh cherubim, B sing for the glory of the living and the loving, the flaming of creation. Sing with us, dance with us, be with us, be. At the Nativity, at Epiphany, when Jesus is revealed, the whole creation is present. The whole world. These mad, these magi are stand-in for the whole universe. They got brought by stars. And they are from far away. And yet they're right there. The evil kings even helped them get there. Where was the Messiah to be born? And it was in Bethlehem. How amazing. How marvelous. They didn't belong. They weren't expected. And yet, there they are. Being. Let us, in our naming, include others, as Jesus did from the beginning of his life here on earth. From our knownness, our love expands, even to the whole world. As namers, we become like Jesus, and we already are like him. Here are some of the, here, here, here's a bit of naming that we did this week, right here. Um, we were naming the people of Iran as who they are at the protest in Center City. It's totally washed out, but can you see Jen and Scott there in his hat? And then my other, my other friend, uh, Art, is there with a pink sign. And this is what I wanted you to see, but you can't read it. It says, God loves everyone. He named everyone as loved by God. And so we can't be against Iran. They were there at the beginning. I mean, of course, their, their government is terrible, and so is ours. It's a total mess. But we can't, we can't endorse war because God loves everyone. Paul says in Colossians 3.11, in this new humanity, there is no question of Greek and Jew, or circumcised and uncircumcised, of barbarian, Scythian, or slave and free. The king is everything and in everything. Jesus has revealed this from his infant encounter with the Magi onward. And we who have seen his glory now live to love as God loves everyone, everything. We can start right here in this room. There's enough practice to be done right here to love the people here in this room. But we won't stop until everyone knows who they are and what their name is, that they are loved just as they are, that they can say with someone, maybe even with us, I don't have to be anybody but who I am. I could just be myself. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.